Okay, this is the start of my series that I've been promising for quite some time now, and I'm out in my front yard, so you may hear uh, vehicles from time to time. I'm going to start out talking about Judaism, and uh, the, the key to this is you have to understand the origins of where our faith system came from, and if you're a Christian, uh, you think you understand that. You think you've got the concept down because you, you figure, okay, I know how this goes. You've got an Old Testament, you've got a New Testament, and you put them together, and it creates an entire Bible, and we believe the entire Bible. Well, there's more to it than that. You have to really understand where did the Old Testament come from? What is it based off of? And uh, are there still people today that look at only that testament as the testament for which their faith is built? And yes, the answer to the second question is the easier part. That's Judaism. But then again, it's not. And that's why I want to touch off on that first. We have to start with that origin. Judaism today uh, is the opposite, really, of the way Christianity was started. Judaism is the result of a history that happened at one point, hundreds of years passing, and then it gets written down and put into a formalized structure, and then commentary and all of that is thrown around it, and it all becomes one big organized religion at that stage of the game, wherein Christianity, the opposite was created. You had a first century Christ appearance, first century witnesses, reporting on what they witnessed and experienced, building the church, and then centuries of history after that, and commentary and things of that nature. So we had a written form of the New Testament structure for Christianity centuries before we had a structure for the religion known as Judaism. And in both cases, though, they've been adulterated, okay? In both cases, what's happened is that the commentary has become the central point. And so everybody faces both of their faiths based off of what centuries of people have interpreted from the events rather than the events themselves. And so it's important we understand that there's been some misinterpretation over the years. Now, in Christianity's case, it it got infiltrated by another group as it was building. Uh, but we'll touch on that when we touch on Christianity and Catholicism. But let's look at Judaism first. Now, before I get too deep into this, I want people to realize that I'm going to be approaching Judaism, well, all of it actually, as much as possible from an outsider's perspective. So what I say won't have a whole lot of uh, preaching in it when it comes to my emotions toward these different things. And I, at least I hope that will be the case. I'm trying to stay as neutral as I possibly can. Having said that though, you'll get my understanding of things probably in some areas better than others based on the way that I just can't help the fact that I don't have a very good poker face and I'm relatively unfiltered, as you probably already know from previous videos. So when I cover the concepts of Judaism, I want you to realize that I'm trying to cover them from the perspective of somebody on the outside of all of this looking at it. Now, you need to understand that Judaism is the primary uh, 
an earliest version of a Western civilization religion that we have access to. And in Western civilization, animism was very popular 2000, 3000 BC. And animism is this concept of inanimate objects, animals, uh, nature itself having uh, a, a, a personality, okay, or seen as something beyond itself. And when you put it into a religious perspective, what you end up with is the ability for people to worship a mountain or a stream or a cat or whatever it is that has happened throughout history when it comes to different religions. I mean, if you look at the Egyptian faith and you see all kinds of symbolism that happens in there, and there was a belief that certain animals had certain properties and that there was a wealth to it. But in all the Western civilization religions or faiths of the day when Judaism was being created, when it was having its early stages uh, as a people, the Hebrews saw this the same way. Now, you had around 1900 BC an individual named Abram, who later on gets renamed Abraham. And he is your typical farmer in that day and age. He is relying on the land as well as he possibly can. And as a result of that, he has to ground himself wherever there is vegetation, wherever there's growth, wherever there's the ability to produce food necessary for survival for himself, then for his larger family, and then for a community of family beyond that. And so where he starts out at the mouth of the Euphrates, because there's a great source of, of uh, resources there, he eventually makes his way up to the headwaters of the Euphrates, up through the Fertile Crescent, all the way around the Mediterranean area, until he eventually ends up in the Egyptian area at the Nile. Again, following the waterways as the sources of life, and it makes sense. This was what was referred to as the Fertile Crescent, and Abraham, originally known as Abram, works his way around the curve of the Fertile Crescent over the period of his life. And, of course, Decades go by, his family size grows, and it becomes a nation of its own, okay? And, uh, and so keep that in mind as we approach this. Now, in early animism, and like I said, in Western civilization in general, there was a worship of mountains particularly. You know, at the foot of this mountain, there are resources available. Well, that primarily has to do a lot with there would be ice at the top, it would melt its way down through the, through the mountain into and create rivers and people could farm next to the rivers and live and, and that type of thing and so the mountain itself was seen as a source of life or sustenance and therefore it was worshipped. Okay? And the mound, a common word used in many cultures of that day for mound was El. And so you end up with uh, a location. So you have a city named Dan and there's a mount there, and the people find sustenance in that mount, and so as a result of that, they become followers or believers of the god or the El of that city, and you put that together, and you end up with things like Daniel.
the name Daniel, someone who is a believer in the God of Dan, okay, or the Mount of Dan. Uh, you have the same thing with other areas that are related to Abraham specifically. And he, Mount Shaddai, was a place of uh, fruit and sustenance for Abraham at one point. And so El Shaddai, or Mount Shaddai, is a place of worship and so forth. And so you see how all that builds in there. And you will see that through the naming of places, of people, societies, things in general, not just in Old Testament, but in religions and history of that day and age, period. So you follow Abraham through all this process, and he goes from place to place to place, uh, committing himself to the mount or the El or the God of that region, be it a river or mountain or whatever it is that is sustenance, until he finds the need to move on. So he migrates and continues down. And his story over the decades builds. Now that also explains how Abram goes from the mouth of the Euphrates all the way down to Egypt before his story is over. And it also explains the, uh, the mythology that can be built from that. And I'm not saying that it didn't happen and that there wasn't, there wasn't really God there. Please understand this. I'm just saying that from an outside perspective, this is the way that it builds. And it explains the interpretations that happened hundreds of years later, many, many generations after Abraham is gone, you have people that are in bondage you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it bondage as much as they had been uh, captured and become the property of the Babylonian people who actually treated them quite well. And it was at that point that the Hebrew people, the descendants of Abraham, really were at their most educated and they had access to the most learning, reading, writing, uh, creating a library of information. And as a result of that, it's not until the Babylonian captivity that they begin to piece together their history that they had been passing on from generation to generation of how their family lineage started. And so they part, start putting it down into an actual canon of works. Now we know the first five books that are incorporated in what the Christians refer to as the Old Testament, what the Judaism refers to as the Tanakh, um, that the first five books are the original Torah. They are the, the books of or attributed to Moses. And so you look at that perspective. Now what ends up happening, and this is what I was indicating earlier, is that here we are hundreds of years after the events. There's been a lot that's been passed on through oral interpretation and oral understanding of things from century to century to century until they start actually putting it all down into written form. Now, the understanding with that also is that Moses did not himself write these words down. Instead, those first five books are given credit to him because they were of his period, and they are seen as, right, they are seen as the testament that is there. Then what happens is that they are gathering their own commentary on those books. And they're gathering their commentary on, because the, the first five books basically consist of their history. 
Then you have the prophets that are involved, okay? The prophetic movements that happened during that time period. And then there are the interpretations of all the commentary that happens. You know, somebody wise in any generation that's, that's living at the time that these things are being collected and, and put down on paper uh, or on papyrus, um, scrolls, things of that nature, when they're being put down and they're actually being chronicled for the first time, there's commentary that's taking place. And then the next generation comes in and they do commentary on that as well as on the commentary on the commentary and so forth. And it continues to build. And before you know it, centuries have gone by and hundreds and hundreds of volumes, thousands of volumes of commentary have been put together on these, these the history, on the law itself and how to interpret it, on the prophets and how to indicate what the prophets indicated, and so forth. When all of that gets put together and wrapped together, all of that together becomes the written Torah. And as a result of that, you end up with what Judaism focuses on. And they believe at, at one point in all of this, they take on a revelation type of a concept. And they, they say, okay, there is going to be a revelation you know, in the end, okay, a revelation of Sinai, and it is going to produce a Messiah for us. And that Messiah will come if we fulfill what the Torah tells us we need to fulfill. If we follow the Torah, the Messiah will come. Okay? It actually makes sense. Now, Again, from an outsider's perspective, the only problem you have at this stage is an understanding that most of what they see as the written Torah is commentary. It's opinions of people over the centuries based off of the written version of stories that were passed down over centuries. So, Imagine playing the game of gossip for a thousand years. And then somebody decides, hey, let's write down what we understand of the story. And then let's discuss it. And let's write down the discussion. Oh, and then the next generation comes along. Oh, and we're going to discuss what was discussed. And then we're going to try to determine... How much of this was just discussed information and how much of it is real information from the story? And then the next generation does the same and so forth. You're going to run into something very similar to this in Christianity, but I'm not going to move into that yet. Now, am I trying to shoot down the faith system of Judaism? No, I'm not. What I'm saying is that what became the religion known as Judaism did not happen from the beginning of Genesis. Those first five books, the laws, the prophets, all of that interpretation took place over centuries of development, orally, and then became written. And then at that point, it became a formalized religion. Now, are things going to get romanticized? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're going to look fondly on past events, and you're going to interpret those events uh, based off of your own experience looking back. 
you know, you're going to interpret your own childhood different today than you would have when the events were happening as a child. I mean, that's natural. Well, add centuries to that and you're going to get an even more glossed over or interpretive uh, analysis of what happened and why it happened. Now, if it was just that, Judaism could survive on its own and you could say, okay, it, it's, it's a pretty straightforward faith, but it, I mean, it's, it's understandable that there's interpretation there. But let me go back to where I started with this. There were decades and then hundreds of years of migration that took place throughout this whole process. Okay? As you migrate, you run into new people. As you run into new people, you are exposed to different cultures. As you're exposed to different cultures, a lot of things begin to change. Uh, the words that you use, the clothing that you wear, the way that you express yourself, the way that you see the world around you changes. Um, and you become influenced, especially over decades of being with these different people. And then you move to the next group and there's another shift in influence. And you pick up bits and pieces of those things, both good and bad, from each city that you've moved into, each culture that you become a part of, each group that you begin to associate with. And this happened over the course of centuries. And it's only at the end of all of this migration that you begin to write down what your history was. And because of that, all the influences of all these different mystery religions, all these different faiths, all these different observations of terminology and the way things formed and your concept of God, and all of this begins to change. And it results in a formalized religion that is most assuredly very far removed from what was originally worshipped when the events that are being talked about in that religion took place. It leaves a lot of room for error. A lot of room. And it brings in various forms of occultism. Of worship of things that should not be worshipped. And ironically enough, the scripture itself does bring into that. And it talks about, don't be unequally yoked. Don't associate with this city or with that city or with this woman or that man. And it does give warnings in there that do not become like these people. And yet the history still shows us that these people still stumbled and they became like them. So they did record some of this. They were aware enough to say, okay, there's an influence that took place here. So it's still very open to say that God was still molding the hearts of the people who wrote the actual scripture down to say, hey, here's what you need to take from the events that happened. Right? So there we are. So we have that really quick overview of how all of this was established and where there is room for error. Okay, so now I want to make sure that you understand that I do understand more than just a basic summary of all of this. And uh, so I'll break it down a little bit more specifically. Now, what we refer to as uh, the Christian world refers to as the Old Testament is actually the Tanakh or the Oral Torah. 
okay, of Sinai. Um, and what that is, is that is um, the, what you would look at as the scripture. Okay, but it wasn't until 200 AD that the legal code itself, that the law code was put down into a formal writing. 200 AD. Now remember, Abraham, his events took place in 1900 BC, but it's not until 200 AD that we actually have a law code that's been set down in writing. And that is what you refer to as the Mishnah. Okay? Now, then there was commentary on the Mishnah okay, over the next couple of hundred years, and it finally gets put down. This commentary on the Mishnah gets put down into writing, and that becomes the Talmud. Okay, and you've heard these terms, but you may not be clear as to what they mean. So the Talmud was around 400 AD, and it was a written uh, commentary on the Mishnah, which was the written law code or legal code okay, of the people. At the same time that the Talmud was being created, around 400 AD, you have uh, a, an examination that's beginning to happen, an exegesis of the scripture itself, not just the legal system, the legal code, but the scripture. So you have exegesis of that and commentary that happens with that. Um, and that is what we know as the Midrash or the Midrashim. Okay? And it, it, for about 200 years, we've got that being written down and, and, and put into place. Um, in the middle of all of this, you have a second trip into commentary of the Mishnah. So there's additional commentary that takes place around 500 AD and takes place for the next hundred years um, while the Midrash is, is being developed and molded and created and finalized. So is this secondary Talmud. But this one is the Talmud of Babylonia. And, uh, and so it's further commentary that also includes commentary on the commentary originally. Okay? So between 200 and 600 AD, you've got the, the written version of Judaism being put together and formalized. <clears throat> now, what makes this interesting is that that really in a way means that the, the real uh, document of Judaism wasn't complete until around 600 AD. 600 years after Christianity's understanding of the return of Christ. So in some ways, Judaism is 600 years younger than Christianity. Let that soak in. Because up until all of this point, it was oral, it was handed down, it was tradition, and, and that's what a lot of it was. Some of it was written during the Babylonian captivity, but the completion of what today's Judaism refers to as the Torah, okay, as the complete work, did not happen, really was not finalized until 600 AD. In other words, 1400 years ago. Now, allowing myself actual commentary and, and opinion to throw into this, one of the reasons why I have had trouble with Judaism, uh, well, there's actually two reasons particularly that I've had trouble with it. The first being what I just indicated, that they were still building and molding and interpreting 
all of these things and that there's this vast library of commentary and exegesis that is considered a part of the scripture of Judaism. Now, to the outsider, you say, okay, it's the 39 books of the Old Testament. No. No, that's just a drop in the bucket of all the stuff that encompasses the full amount of what they would consider the Holy Scripture and that which must be followed. And what makes that rough or dangerous on the outside is that, that they also hold to an understanding that, that the, the, the typical worshiper out there, the typical Jew, does not have access to the full Torah that there is additional Torah that has been revealed only to the priests and is handed down from the priests of one generation to the next and so forth. So there is still this temple where there's a veil where the common man doesn't have access to the sacred end of things and the priest has to bring that information in. That's still existing today in 21st century as it was all those centuries ago, as it was 2,000 plus years ago. This concept of uh, the priest still has additional information that you don't have access to, and the priest will reveal this information as necessary. But until all of it is fulfilled, the Messiah will not return or will not come. See, for Judaism, the Messiah hasn't been here at all. They're still waiting on the Messiah, and there's still a revelation of Sinai and a belief that there will be a Messiah, but only after a Torah is completely followed, after there's been true, faithful uh, obedience to the Torah, then the Messiah will come. But you don't know how to fully fulfill it because you haven't been, com been given complete access to it, but the priests have additional information. So the priests will let you know when it has been fulfilled and when the Messiah can come. And then you add on top of that that there is a growing group of Judaizers, I would call them, of, of Jews today that would say that that part really isn't going to happen, that there really isn't going to be a Messiah coming, that, uh, uh, that yeah, that's not going to happen. So there is a group out there that it still says at this point, nah, we don't really follow that part. That would be like the equivalent of the Christians looking at the 27 books in the New Testament and saying only 26 of them matter. Uh, Revelation, nah, it's interesting writing and things, but it has nothing to do with us today. Okay, it was interesting. Um, and by the way, your amillennialists would fall under the category of we look at the 26, we don't look at the 27th book. There's just really 26. The 27th has already come and gone, and it's done its thing. There's nothing to that. So the, there's a large group of the Jews that would say there isn't a Messiah coming back or coming in the first place. There you go. So that, that's, that's a major issue in and of itself. There is still a massive misinterpretation also of all of this, because they do not believe that Christ was the Messiah, they are a faith that is built off of an, of an error. 
Now, it's not that the 39 books cannot be used, because they can. And this is where Judaism and Christianity don't have to be on the same page with each other. And as a Christian, you can still look at the Old Testament and say, okay, everything is still okay. Because there are some of you who probably already begun to, to question, does this throw off my, my faith? Where, where does Christianity fall into all of this? Because if the 39 books are just a misinterpretation of stuff or, or, or whatever, and that's what he's saying. I'm not saying that. Okay, what I'm actually saying is that today's Judaism follows volumes and volumes and volumes of commentary far more than it follows the actual history and the prophets and the law that are in those 39 books. And that would be the vast tripping up of Judaism is that their faith is in the commentaries and on, in the priests themselves rather than in their actual scripture. That sound familiar? Hmm. Who else tends to do that? They, they focus on their priests and their rituals rather than their scripture. Who else does that? That's for part two. But Judaism, and, and I know this is, this is a really quick summary, and I understand that, and there are people that are, uh, that are Jewish that are probably observing this that are just yelling and screaming and ready to throw their digital device out the window or to hunt me down to shoot me or whatever you want to do with me. Um, I know that I am butchering the summary of your doctrine. I know that. But try to faithfully explain to me that I'm not really in the ballpark. Honestly. Because you cannot explain why, and you don't want to explain why, you missed the boat in the first coming of Messiah. And that your faith has become formalized after the fact. And then it's primarily finalized based off of man's interpretations to the tunes of millions of pages of interpretations rather than the Word of God itself. And that's a problem. It's a serious problem with Judaism. Now, there are people that are going to automatically label me as anti-Semitic. No. Actually, I think, I think for the most part, the Jews are the anti-Semitics of themselves. They've tripped themselves up over the centuries. They have taken themselves out of their own equation because they had an opportunity and they crucified it. And they continue to live under this veil of rituals, festivals, and listening to priests and confessing their souls to man rather than to God. They had an opportunity to have this one-on-one -on -one communication 
with God, and instead they still live their lives in temples with priests, and they tell themselves that the prophets don't matter, that the Messiah probably isn't even going to exist, um, and so they have given themselves a futile future. And it's sad, actually. But no, I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm just saying that Judaism is not a rational faith based off of God. It's man's interpretation of events over centuries and a need for power of priests over followers. But you're not alone because there are many religions that fall under that same category. Oh, and in part two, we'll discuss how that happened to Christianity. We'll talk about how 21st Christianity is nothing more than the same type of religion that Judaism is versus what first century Christianity was. And the hint that I can give you is that first century Christianity was not a religion. Religion is a set of steps and procedures that a group will undertake and they understand that if they complete those steps, those rituals, those items, those instructions or whatever, they will reach the result that they're looking for. You do something religiously with the attempt of, of repeating the same sets of steps in hopes for a particular outcome. Uh, first, century, first century Christianity isn't based on that. First century Christianity understood that there's nothing that you can do. It was all done by Christ. But that's for next time.